We have heard quite a bit of speaking already. You know, <clears throat> you don't have to move, but it would be easier for me if you all press, press together. We do have spiritual counsel on that, by the way. Um, one of the things that helps me, I, I don't know if it's because I'm Cuban, but I'm, I'm relational. I, I'm not a talking head. I interact with people. And, and it helps me when I see facial expressions and I can hear sounds. <clears throat> but being up so high and so far away, <clears throat> I almost feel like I'm, I'm preaching to myself. It's difficult sometimes. But <clears throat> I can tell when the Holy Spirit's moving amongst you or when I'm missing when I can see you. But okay, I thought I'd share that. Um, there should be handouts. Have you received those? <clears throat> okay, good. And uh, I want to recommend to you three books. Before I came, uh, I was praying, and to, to for you know, I'm not going to give you a stack of books, but I wanted to recommend some books to you on the sanctuary that I thought would be the best. Um, <clears throat> and you are, and so I'm going to recommend three books to you. First of all. The first wasn't a book. It was going to be an article until I came here, and then it's a book. <laughs> Somebody, I didn't realize it was put into a book, and uh, Yafet introduced it to me. I encourage you to get this. If you're going to study the sanctuary, this, this is going to be absolutely foundational for you. No, I don't get any money from this. You can get it off the internet if you wanted to. But this is going to be far better. And what this is, is the article that was written by O.R.L. Crozier on the sanctuary. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but God communicated... Yes? The book uh, that I may dwell among them is the name of the book. And Yafet is... is I guess you can get the book back there tonight. Uh, Yafet is God. He stepped out. He went out that door. Anyway... Um, but you really want to talk to him and get this. Uh, Sister White communicated to us that God endorsed it. What amazes me is it's taken this long to put it into a book. And, and, when, you, and when you look at this and you think about historically the challenges that we have had, false teachings that have come up by very popular speakers that created difficulty within denomination over the subject, you're going to find that at the very beginning, God gave us all the answers. Highly recommend this book uh, by O.R.L. Crozier. The next one I want to recommend to you is Christ in a Sanctuary by Sister White. Christ in a Sanctuary. It's a compilation of her writings and what she has to say on this. You're getting straight on inspiration. And again, she addresses a lot of errors that were being perpetrated in her day in regards to the sanctuary, and it'll help you to avoid pitfalls. Tremendous material. Very good. It'll set a wonderful foundation for you. The third one I want to recommend to you, uh, and I've read a number, and, and, and there, each one has its place. Strengths and weaknesses. I'm giving you the three that I find to be strengths. I haven't found any weaknesses. The third one is M.L. Aldreason's uh, Sanctuary Service. His spiritual understanding of this is going to broaden your understanding of, 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 of what the sanctuary was intended to be in communicating to us spiritual truths. Uh, three powerful books that I want to encourage you to purchase. Um, <clears throat> just a, a couple things I want to add from my last message that I, I failed to, to either clarify 
or to bring out. And that is, um, at the table of showbread, the priest's work, uh, remember putting the bread there, is to communicate to Israel that God is our provider for spiritual and physical nu- nutrition. The physical, of course, the manna and, and the crops every year, but the spiritual was the word. Okay, that's true then, it's true now. Uh, Jesus is the word of God, and the scriptures is known as the what? The word of God. And so God is, we need him to feed us on both. The other is I failed to mention that the, the role of the, the, the golden altar uh, is, is the role of mediation. Uh, the, the earthly priest through the incense uh, was a symbol of, of him presenting the prayers of the people before God. Jesus does that work in heaven. And you and I have the privilege of interceding for other people. Is that true? Say amen. amen. <clears throat> Tomorrow's presentations are going to be um, the first one is going to be on uh, the judgment, the good use of the judgment. I really want to encourage you, do not miss either of those. Um, the first one on the judgment is very likely a sermon. It will be the first time you have ever heard it, and very likely the last time you ever will. <clears throat> In that message, we're going to combine our understanding of the gospel and combine it with the operation of the judgment, what the Bible reveals to us of the judgment. And once we do that, the mechanism, the operation of it is going to make sense to us. We're also going to address a fear factor. <clears throat> and then the message right behind that, because it's going to be back to back, we're going to take a look at how the sanctuary explains the reason for the delay in the second coming. And, uh, and that's going to be powerful as well. I want to, before I get started, I want to warn our... <clears throat> I think it's the media people, that there will be an illustration in which I will request the lights in this room to be turned out completely, and uh, it'll make sense once we get there. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer. You've got to be tired. (laughs) I know I am. And uh, I'm praying for you, and I hope that you continue praying for me. But I'm going to kneel. You have already knelt before the Master. I will, but if you'll bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, Lord God, thank you again for a love that just refused to let us go. We thank you for the beautiful truths that are revealed to us in your word here in the sanctuary. And certainly, Lord, we are undeserving of all you have done and are doing and are about to do for us. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here, and you know that I am a broken instrument that has nothing at all to give except that which you give through me, in me. And so I I pray, Lord, for the Holy Spirit. I pray that you will fulfill John 14, 26 and bring to my remembrance the things you've taught me, that I may share it here. I pray that each heart will be in tune with yours and will recognize the unique message you have for each one here, which I would be incapable of giving. I thank you so much for this, Father, so very much. Please put an angel by my side and and guide me. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We learned in my last presentation that the sanctuary is actually a model for prayer. And that it helps, it helps me to maintain my focus, but also it reminds me of what I should be praying for. 
Tonight we're going to be looking at um, the daily experience in the sanctuary, the daily today, and how it applies to us today. <clears throat> and we learned that uh, in the daily, it began uh, with the activities at the brazen altar, then at the labor of water, then at the menorah, then at the table of showbread and the golden altar. And these activities constituted the the daily. We, we are, we're learning that the sanctuary put, uh, reveals to us what Christ has done for us in the past, what Christ is doing for us right now, and what Christ is about to do for us. Uh, we have learned and we're learning that God gave the sanctuary to Israel as a mechanism, mechanism of instruction to teach Israel the, the plan of salvation, that God found an answer to the sin problem. And in studying the sanctuary, we are studying the science of salvation. The daily, in the daily services, we're actually going to learn how to walk with Jesus and through that walk, get victory over sin. Does that sound appealing to you? Um, in the, the message that the angel gave to Joseph in the New Testament, Matthew one twenty one. The, the angel revealed to us the mission of Christ. The angel said these words, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call himself Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin, not in their sin. There is another gospel being preached today that you will be saved in your sin. This is a deception. Um, first of all, we have to define sin. Come on, good Adventists. What is sin? It is the transgression of the law. All right. Sin is not a mistake. You were supposed to turn left, you turned right. That is not a mistake. You're learning a new instrument, and it doesn't sound so good. That is not a mistake. You are building, making a table, and the legs don't quite line up even though you did your best. That is not a sin. That is not a sin. Are you with me? Yes. A mistake is not a sin. Okay, now I'm going to stretch you. <clears throat> How about if you break the law in ignorance? Is that charged against you? Let's open our Bibles. <clears throat> open your Bibles. And let's turn to the book of Leviticus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I knew I was going to stretch a few. <clears throat> Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. And this is, um, this is, uh, this is a chapter on the sin offering. In verse 27. If any one of the common people sins, what's the next word? Unintentionally, by doing something against any of the commandments of the Lord, anything which they ought not do, and is guilty. And if the sin which, has, uh, uh, which he has sinned comes to his knowledge, what was it before that? It was ignorance. So now that it comes to his knowledge, then he shall bring an offering. Does he bring one while he's ignorant of it? No. Paul reminds us, what does God, uh, in Acts 17.30, what does God do in our times of ignorance? 
Okay, so when we sin, we break the law. It is a sin, but if it's an ignorance, is it charged against us? So then what is sin? It's when you know what God's will is for you and you choose not to trust Him and you go against what He has asked. That is sin. That is rebellion. That's what the angels in heaven did and were kicked out and nobody is going in doing that. Does that make sense? This is very important to understand the plan of salvation. We've got to figure out what sin is. And that's it. We're going to learn before all is said and done is that God is going to destroy sin. God is very serious about sin. It's not a game to Him. It cost Him the life of His Son. God took an awful risk to save you. Sister White says that Jesus could have suffered eternal loss. Friend, what does that mean? Does that mean that he would have come under the prince of darkness forever? What does it mean that he would have suffered eternal loss? It was, it's, I have not found anywhere where that's defined, but I know it's bad. What would that have meant to the throne of God if Jesus had failed? Would that have destabilized the throne? I suggest to you, it would have. Jesus could have failed. Heaven took an awful risk to save you and to save me. God is very serious about dealing with this issue. And before it's all said and done, he's going to destroy sin because sin destroys the people he loves. But those who hang on to it will be destroyed with it because the very presence of God is a consuming fire to sin. So prior to his coming in all his glory, sin must be separated from his children. How? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. I'm going to begin <clears throat> with question number one. Now, I'm not using a PowerPoint. I'm going to use handout. And if we don't have enough handouts for tomorrow's next two, we need, we need more copies. But I want you to have this because I want you to take notes. I want you to study it. I want you to share it. What is God's will <clears throat> concerning his people? 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 and 4. For this is the will of God, your what? Your sanctification, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and what? And honor. See, the gospel is all about a change. Conversion is basically saying, I used to serve the devil, but now I am changing sides. I'm going to serve God. It's a conscious change. You see, when we're born in this world, I hope you can all see this illustration, but this is, this is the heart. When we're born into this world, all of us have a throne and a cross in our hearts. And we're born with Jesus nailed to the cross and us on the throne. And we are the masters of our lives. And we decide where we go, how we do it, when we do it, where we do it. We're really deceived. We're following the devil is what we're doing. But when... We accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. We change places. Christ takes the throne and self is crucified. And now we let Jesus lead us. Only now it's a voluntary service. His control is always voluntary. 
Does that make sense? We surrender our will to him by choice. <clears throat> the gospel is about change. It's about surrendering our will to him. Let's take a look at the note right below question one. Sanctification is the total surrender of our will to the will of God. It is something that God does in the repentant sinner who cooperates with God. Bible sanctification is motivated and empowered all the way by the Holy Spirit and directed to the honor and the glory of God. Without his power working in us, we are totally what? Helpless and what? Until we come to this place, until we come to the place to believe that, we will never surrender to Jesus. Jesus said, for without me, you can do how much? Nothing. It is God who transforms the believer in all aspects of his daily existence, in his thinking and acting, desires, in short, completely. This effect is seen in the home, and it begins there. Work, school, church, and in the community at large. Now, <clears throat> I have a number of pet peeves, and I'm going to share one with you. <clears throat> it's this idea that I hear often that God accepts me the way I am. Theologically, that is incorrect. God does not accept us the way we are. Praise God. God, however, does receive us the way we are. We can't come to him any other way. I used to think there were times when I was living in the world and serving the devil. Of course, if you told me I was, I wouldn't have believed you. But I was living like I was living in sin. And <clears throat> I remember there were, I had those moments when I said to my, you know, I don't know, I, I guess because I was in school or, or, or something, I, had, I listened to a talk and something touched me. And I remember I would say to myself, you know, one day, I may, I'm gonna, when I come to the Lord, I'm going to clean up my life first. It will never happen. If we're going to go to Jesus, we've got to go the way we are. Broken, messed up, untrustworthy, undependable, insincere. It's the only way we can go because that's all we are apart from him. So view the gospel like a shower. It will receive you the way you are. Nobody cleans up before they get in the shower. That's what the shower does. You get into the shower the way you are, but it's not going to leave you that way. You're coming out different than how you came in. Take a look at question number two. In order to enjoy sanctification, what attitude must one have towards Jesus and sin? In 1 John 3, 3, it says, And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, who's that he there, is Jesus is pure. Jesus is the goal to be like Christ in my home, to be like Christ in my school, in my workplace, wherever I may be. That is the goal. And I love the prayer in Exodus thirty-three, thirteen. It's the words of Moses praying to God, and the words are so sincere. Oh, it's my prayer. And Moses says, with great humility, now therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight. Is that beautiful? This is revealing a teachable spirit, friend. This is the words of someone who knows that they're a sinner in need of a savior, someone who knows they're unworthy, 
Somebody who knows it doesn't, he doesn't deserve to stand in the presence of God, but yet knows God well enough to know he can ask for that. Have you ever prayed for God to show you where you lack? Have you ever prayed to ask God to reveal to you where you're not reflecting Jesus Christ? You better hang on, because he will. When I was beginning my walk with the Lord, <clears throat> I had a man precious man, a grandfather in the church. I sat at his feet and he taught me about Jesus. And he told me how important it was to do this so that we can surrender those areas in our lives that didn't reflect him so he can transform us. So I began praying that. <clears throat> you know, the carnal heart would love for an angel to show up at the door and we open it and there's a massive angel there with a clipboard. George, we heard your prayer. Let's go down the list, brother. About kicking the dog yesterday. We don't do that anymore. And uh, over here, you know, you were a little snippy with your wife. You need to go apologize. And you know what I'm saying? The carnal heart can handle it coming from a majestic being. But when we ask God to reveal to us what's not right in our lives, do you know who he's going to use? Your spouse. He's going to use your wife. Or your husband. Or your kids. Or that annoying person at work or at church. And unless our hearts are humble, God will be speaking to us and we won't even recognize it. I was... Um, I was at home one morning, this is before we had kids, and uh, I was watching TV. I don't do that anymore because there's nothing on there that's going to prepare me for the second coming. And I was watching TV. It was a quiet morning. My wife was in the kitchen. <clears throat> she was working on something. I can hear her banging around in there. And uh, it was peaceful. All of a sudden, she came from around the corner to where I was sitting and stuck her finger right in my face. I mean, like this, like about that close to my nose. And she said, I need you to be the priest of this house. And she turned on her heels, walked down the hallway, and disappeared into a bedroom. And I was like, what just happened? I mean, we were having such a nice day. I mean, there was like, there was no, there was, there was no precursor to this at all. It blew, it so frazzled me. It so frazzled me, I couldn't enjoy what I was watching anymore. All I can hear and see was my wife's finger right in my face. And I didn't know what to do, and I was just, I was so flustered, and I said, I, I'm going to go to walk. i gotta, I got to talk to God. And, uh, and, and as I'm, I'm going out, I saw my Bible at the table, and I said, I've got to bring that with me. And so I went for my walk, and I was talking to the Lord. I said, did you see what happened in there? I didn't do anything. I did not. I was so nice. I was just watching him, and she stuck there. And, <clears throat> and I was just thinking about what she had said, and I thought to myself, you know, what does it mean to be the priest of the home? I mean, I heard people use the expression, you know, in reference to the, the men in the house, and I thought, what does that mean exactly? And I remember looking at my Bible, I remember thinking to myself, is it possible that this book will teach me how to be a husband, and a, a godly husband and a godly father? Let me give you the answer. Yes. And most assuredly will. 
And the example of a godly husband and father is Jesus Christ. You see, when we, when, when we use the term, the priest of the home, we are using a sanctuary term. And the priest on earth was to represent the Lord in heaven. And so what, what that expression is saying is that for you and I, you men, to be Jesus in our houses. And for me to know what that means, I've got to study the life of Christ. And you know, <clears throat> I began studying his life and I began to see how he dealt with his disciples because that was his family. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, what I'm about to say, I, I, it encourages me, but the 12 disciples were 12 boneheads. These guys would say the dumbest things. They would do the dumbest things. And I, if it was me, I'd be like, you know what, I'm starting with another 12. I can't imagine I'd do worse than this. But I was rebuked in how gentle Jesus dealt with them. How kind he was with them. It was a rebuke to me. I want to be like Jesus. So how do you get there from here, Pastor? Let's take a look at question number three. How is this work accomplished? It's found in this text. If you like memorizing verses... You need to memorize this one. Now, everywhere where the word abide appears, audience, I would like for you to respond nice and loud for me. That's the first word. Abide, abide in me and I in you. Now, watch this. And Jesus gives us an illustration. As the branch, what's the next word? Cannot. cannot. It's incapable. The branch is incapable of what? As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it what? Abides in the vine. Now he bridges the illustration. Neither can you unless you what? Abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If any man, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are what? So what fruitage are we talking about here? Is it apples, oranges, and bananas? It's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, <clears throat> I am not a... I'm a city slicker. I see you all have like farm stuff out here and I think that's fabulous. I'm actually trying to learn how to garden. I should have done this a long time ago. But anyway, so you see I have up here a grapevine. Can you see the grapevine? Yeah. All right. I am, I, 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 now, <clears throat> if this were a microphone and I held it up to this, this grape, this developing grape, a uh, bunch of grapes, this is what you would not hear. Grape. We got it on the branch now. Grape. Let's go with this one. Grape. Branches do not produce grapes 
by trying to produce grapes. Branches produce grapes by being connected to the vine. Because what is needed to produce grapes is found in the vine. The, the key is in the connection. It's not known as the fruit of the branch. It's known as the fruit of the Spirit. Keep that in mind when we get into the judgment. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So how is this accomplished? Turn our page over. Number four. Through what medium is this abiding change wrought? Through the daily experience. My work in cooperating with Jesus is to meet with him each day and submit to his work and leading in my life. So each morning as I begin my day, I come to Jesus. I, 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 I ask him to search my life and see if there's anything between my soul and my Savior. And if there is, I ask him to forgive me and then I go to, to make right what I've done wrong. <clears throat> It's recommitting my life to Christ and re recommitting that area where I had failed in. It's every day asking Jesus to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can have the power to obey Him. It's every day spending time in the Word of God, the bread of life, where He communicates to me. <clears throat> and it's every day spending time with Him in prayer. This is known as the daily experience. Now, it's really interesting. Let me, excuse me, one second. <clears throat> the outer court teaches us how to begin a relationship with God. It's coming to Him, confessing our sin, committing our lives to Him. But the, holy, the, the tabernacle teaches us how to maintain that relationship with God. How to continue to grow <clears throat> in Him. In the outer court, we learn about justification. In the holy place, we learn about sanctification. But in the most holy, we're going to learn about glorification. Now, <clears throat> why is it as we spend time with God that this change takes place in our life? And the reason being is that God has placed in our <clears throat> creation, a law. So I'm going uh, to talk about a law right now, a law of nature. What's this one? Okay, suppose we all agree that there's no such thing as gravity. It still works, doesn't it? So whether we believe in it or not, or we choose to reject it or not, the law is in place. And so the law I want to talk to you about, is, uh, the first is found in 2 Corinthians 3.18. So let's open our Bibles. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians. <clears throat> Here Paul introduces uh, a law to us. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not, say mercy. mercy. All right. Give you a moment. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> okay, 3.18. 
But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, we know that James will later use the illustration of the mirror to describe what? What? The law. And the law is a transcript of, of who God is, right? So it reveals to us his character. So what Paul is telling us is that as we study and look into the character of God, not only in written form, as we see on the tablets, but in living form, as we see in the life of Christ, because Christ is a, live, is a living demonstration of the law when it's in the heart. As we do that, it has an imperceptible effect upon our characters, our mind. We begin seeing things differently. We begin to experience things differently. And <clears throat> we think of uh, Solomon in Proverbs 23, 7. He brings out the same idea when he says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Do you think the devil knows this? That is why Hollywood is so universal. That is why <clears throat> we see technology and having sin at our fingertips now. Because it is by beholding that we become changed. The devil is trying to use God's law against us. But we have a choice in that. Let's take a look at the note <clears throat> right below five. This is the daily holy place experience. It was for Israel of old and it is for us today. While with penitent and humble trust we meditate upon Jesus through his word, whom our sins have pierced and our sorrows have burdened, we may learn to walk in his footsteps. By beholding him, we become changed into his divine likeness. And when this work is produced in us, we will claim no righteousness of our own. But we'll exalt Jesus <clears throat> while we hang our helpless souls upon his merits. Can you say amen to that? That is why the devotional life for those who are planning to be translated and go to heaven, that's why the devotional life is simply not optional. It is not optional. <clears throat> it is vital. You know that the devil really doesn't care if you go to church on Saturday. The devil doesn't care that you eat veggie links. And he doesn't care that you return tithe. We have to remember that that, he, that that is a description of the people that crucified Christ. But they didn't know Christ. The devil cares when you start spending time with Jesus. Now he cares because that's where the power of sin is broken. As, as we spend that time with him. You know, Laodicea, the problem with Laodicea, Laodicea is very content with its religious experience. But, and the reason why it is, is because Laodicea is so far from Christ. She has lost her picture of Jesus. She doesn't want to hear the Laodicean message. She doesn't want to hear the stuff she's doing wrong. She won't hear it. She will defend it. The, the, the whole plan of salvation is based on personal accountability. When God calls something wrong or a sin, and I don't agree with him, he has no jurisdiction 
over that sin in my life. I negate his authority over that sin in my life. The only way that God can get involved is if I agree with him. So, so as we read the word, even if it's five minutes a day and spend time with him, I promise you that in time, five minutes will not be long enough. So where does the power to obey God come from? Philippians 2.13 says, For it is who? God who works in you both to what? To will and to do of his good pleasure. Right before that, it, Paul talks about working out your own salvation. And every good, sincere Adventist trembles at that. Basically what Paul is saying is, cooperate with God. Look it up. Look at G.G. White's commentary on that. That's all that's saying. Cooperate with him. That's another word for obeying, by the way. Cooperate with him, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do. In other words, as I make the choice to obey God, it gives him the right to work in my life. I'm going to illustrate it for you really fast, and I pray that you'll never forget this illustration. And my brother sang about it earlier. And it was the, the man at the pool of Bethesda. You remember that story? How many years was he at the pool? 38 years he had a plan on how to get better. Isn't that right? He was going to drag himself into the water when it was stirred and he would be healed. That brother had some serious tenacity that he dragged himself for 38 years. The textual evidence is that on the day Jesus shows up was the day he finally gave up on his method. Finally did. Jesus comes to him and says, Would you like to be healed? And the man says to him, Don't bother. And Jesus says to him, Get up. At that moment, the power of healing enveloped him. But he had to make a choice. Number one, he had to believe what Jesus said. And number two, he had to make the choice to obey. Those were the two things Christ could not do for him. And so, can you imagine the suspense, the angels watching? By the way, I had a physician come to me later after a presentation I gave like this and told me that after 38 years, his muscles had turned to fat. This was a massive miracle that was needed. And so the guy looks into that face and makes the decision that he was trustworthy and makes the effort. And in making the effort, it now gave God the legal right to unleash his power in his life. And he walked. <clears throat> For it is God who works in you when you cooperate. <clears throat> when I first gave my life to the Lord, I had a very filthy mouth. I mean, filthy mouth. Four little words, <clears throat> left and right. If you scared me, filth, I could turn the sky blue. And um, if, I, if I hit my finger with a hammer, filth and foul uh, would come out of my mouth. If I was nearing a near-death experience, I had friends tell me, we know what you're going to say just before you die. Uh, it, was just, it was just part of my life. And as I was beginning my walk with the Lord with this foul mouth, 
uh, I came across that text in Scripture that says, do not allow corrupt communication escape your lips. Well, that's all that was coming out of my mouth. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I didn't know. I am so sorry. This is a big issue for me. And so I'm stopping like right now. Did I mean it? Yeah. Absolutely I did. But uh, so that was my, actually my New Year's resolution that year. And then it was again the following year. <laughs> so I tried my level best to stop. And uh, finally I came to the Lord after two years of, of failure. And I said to him, God, Lord God, there is no argument between you and me. I believe you and I know you want me to stop and I want to stop and I can't stop. I said, so Lord, I give you permission to do whatever you need to do to make that a reality for me. Whatever you do, you have my permission. Just do it. And the Lord began revealing to me that some of the programs that I was watching was feeding my problem. The Lord began revealing to me that the books that I was reading, the music I was listening to, and the people I was hanging out, was hanging out with was feeding my problem. And I had to do something about it. I had to make some choices. And it was months later, after that prayer, a friend of mine called, and he was probably the only person I knew had a worse mouth than me. And when he and I got together talking, it got scary. And uh, he called on the phone, and as he was talking, all of a sudden, the sound of cursing was repulsive to me. I didn't want to hear it anymore. And I remember when we were done with the conversation, I was like, ugh. And then I thought, wait a second. I could not remember the last time I cursed. And it was interesting. Now, now, I can hit my finger. Your ears are safe. No cursing comes out of my mouth. You can scare me. And no cursing comes out of my mouth. And do you know what I say now at near-death experiences? I call out the name of Jesus. But this is something Jesus did in my life. This is how he works. How does, he, how does God do this? Ezekiel 36 is an amazing text. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Everywhere where the word I appears is the word of God speaking to us. And an audience, I'd like you to say it nice and loud, okay? Ezekiel 36, 26, 27. Okay, what's the first word? I. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Can you say amen to that? Hebrews 10, 16. Let's do it again. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Do you realize that as you read that Jesus is talking to you? Isn't that precious? You know, when I was uh, pastoring in the Carolina, Com no, in Kansas, Nebraska, um, I wanted to have some, you know, family time with my kids and camping is a perfect opportunity to bond with your kids because in every camping trip something goes wrong. And that's when bonding takes place. It does. And um, so I'm a city slicker, and I didn't do camping because I grew up in the city, and things out in the woods scared me because there were things out there that could actually eat you. Uh, but my, my, my uh, wife grew up camping. She loved camping, and she liked, 
She wanted to camp in a tent, and I'm like, you know, there are things out there with really big teeth, and I don't like the idea there's only canvas between me and those teeth. So I went looking for a motorhome, <clears throat> and, um, and of course I was on a pastoral salary, so it was going to be an old one. <laughs> and as we're driving to camp meeting there in Lincoln, Nebraska, I passed a, a lot, and there was this old dilapidated uh, RV, and I said, you know what, I, I think we can afford that one. And so uh, I wanted to stop. I had meetings, but I thought just a quick look at it. And I, I walked out and I was looking around, make sure that the, the uh, um, salesman didn't see me. And so I was looking at it, and I looked over, and I thought, oh, he spotted me. And I'm a passive aggressive. He came over, and I was, uh, was going to give him. I was being nice. And he just was trying to sell me, and he didn't need to. If I could afford it, I, and it was in decent shape, I'd buy it. But anyway, he kept going. I thought to myself, hey, let me turn this into a witnessing opportunity. And so I start trying to guide the conversation, and this guy stops me dead in the tracks and says, you're a Seventh-day Adventist, aren't you? And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. And I said, yeah, actually I am. And he says to me, you know, I would be a Seventh-day Adventist except the law of God can't be kept. And I stood there looking at him, and I looked at my watch, and I said, Lord, I do not have time. Will you give me something quick for this guy? So I thought came to my mind, and I did something with him I've never done with anyone else. I opened up the dark chapters of my life. And I shared with him my sinful past, the things that had me bound, the things that I had fallen into. And, uh, and after I shared that, I looked him in the eye and I said, none of that is part of my life anymore. I don't miss it. I don't white-knuckle it at all. Now, sir... You tell me why. And that man was speechless. I said, I'll tell you why. Because I serve a mighty God who can transform us. Have a nice day. And I, I hope I see that man one day in the kingdom. Take a look at the note right below six. <clears throat> I love this. If you get a, t a chance, look at just that one page in Desire of Ages. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, what, what's another word for consent? Allow? Agree? Yield? Surrender? Give permission? If we consent, Jesus will so identify himself with our what? Our thoughts and aims. So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will that when obeying Him, we shall be carrying out our own impulses. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing His service. Now here's the problem. When we know God, as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become what? Hateful. So the thing we once loved, we will now hate. Um, <clears throat> I have an illustration here, and this is, this is the moment, my friends. Pastor Carl, and if we can kill the lights. That means turn them off. Maybe that's too violent. So if you could stand down here. Uh, maybe one more down. And yeah, and if you can shine the light right here on my chest. So this cup is me. 
And, uh, and Carl is my Christian friend. And Carl comes to me and says, George, you know, there's so much darkness in your life. This is not good. You need to get rid of that. And so I go, oh, you know, Carl, you're right. Uh, Dr. Carl, there's a lot. Okay, let's get rid of it. It's still dark in there. Oh, I know what's wrong. I'm not trying hard enough. You know, maybe salvation was for other people. Maybe it wasn't meant for me. Friend, have you ever thought that? I know you have. We all have. So, so then my friend Carl says to me, uh, he gives me a piece of advice. Now I ask you, what's the advice you give me to get the darkness out of my life? Turn it to the light? Oh, I see some light in there now, but I see some shadows. What do I do about those shadows? Oh, so I draw closer to the light. So as I walk with Jesus, Jesus begins showing me the darkness in my life, the sin. As I confess that sin to him and I surrender to him, I give him permission. I ask for him to give me the strength. I rededicate my life to him in that area. I draw closer. The closer I, listen friend, the closer we come to Jesus, you don't look better. You look worse. Because you're looking to him. Constantly. He is purity, holiness, righteousness. And as we draw closer, he'll continue to show us the wrinkles in our lives. And this process will continue until it's finally Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Thank you, Carl. Does that make sense? Our job is to deal with the distance issue, the relationship. His job is to deal with the darkness issue in my life. Does that make sense? So, see, the problem with Laodicea is she is rich, increased in goods, in need of nothing, which is the evidence she is far from Christ. The closer we draw to Jesus, the worse we will appear in our own eyes. Humility will be the order of the day. Number seven. When united to Jesus, what is our duty? Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are what? are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand. Set your affections on the things above, not on things of the earth. You know, the whole idea of marketing is based on this idea. If I expose my product to you enough times, you are going to want it. Did you hear me? So what we're putting in front of us actually creates a desire for more of it. Does this make sense? The more, we put, the more we put it in front of us, the greater the desire we have for it. Um, that's why we have to be careful of what we're thinking about and what we're spending time with. You know, when people tell me the amount of time they, face, they spend on Facebook, I wonder to myself, what if they spend half of that with Jesus? What are we spending our time on? Do you realize that the more time we spend with Jesus, our desire for Him will increase? You didn't catch that. But pastor, I don't enjoy it. Of course you don't enjoy it because you're a sinner. You're corrupt. Hello, wake up. Yes. But as you spend more time with Him, that will begin to change. Have you ever got a piece of bread that didn't have anything on it? Just pop it in your mouth? It wasn't it dry? 
It wasn't really exciting. But you kept chewing on it and just keep chewing on it and keep chewing on it. <clears throat> what happens? It becomes sweet. Jesus is the bread of life. And the more time we spend with him, the sweeter he will become to us. That's how it works. Matthew 6, uh, verse 33. But what's that first word? <clears throat> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Make spending time with Christ, getting to know Jesus, your highest priority and everything else will come into play. Everything else will fall into place. Jesus knows that we have spiritual needs, emotional needs, and physical needs. But when we put him first, those others fall into place. Nah, you missed it. Okay, let me hit you where you're, where you're living. We shouldn't be focused on relationships. Now I got quiet. We need to be focused on Jesus. We need to be focused on Him. <clears throat> I, I, I see it, but I'm going, brother. Full speed ahead. Um, if you are not content single, if you're not content single, you will never be content married. You never will. Because you're looking for your happiness in another person. And that person can never fulfill you. It won't happen. That can only happen in Jesus. What's actually happening when we're doing that is we're creating an idol. This is what we're doing. But, but when we focus on Jesus and He becomes our focus, then He will protect our relationship. Does that make sense? <clears throat> make Him first in everything. Sadly, Paul warned that in the last days, much of Christianity would become like the world. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, and slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its what? So, so this, this is actually a description of the church in the end. It's saying the church will be no different than the world. You won't be able to tell a church member from a worldling. You can't tell them if they spend the money on the same things, they do the same things, they watch the same things, they listen to the same things, and yet one's saying they're going to heaven and the other one's going to be lost. The gospel should always provide a refreshing difference for the world. Always. The idea that I can win the world by becoming like the world is a masterful deception of the devil. It's actually what gave us the Catholic Church, by the way. Study the history. Let's take a look at number nine. As Jesus works to transform me, what is to be my response? Luke twenty two forty two, saying, these are the words of the Savior, our example, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not mine, my will, but thy will be done. In other words, when God shows you the direction he wants you to go, when God reveals to you that thing that's coming between him that he's asking you to give up, when God shows you something you've done that is wrong, don't argue with him. Surrender. Yield. He knows what he's doing. But the moment we put any pushback, he no longer has jurisdiction on that sin in my life. He only gets jurisdiction if I agree with him and I give him permission to get involved. Does that make sense? 
Church, if it makes sense, please say amen. amen. <clears throat> this is what the rich young ruler failed to do. <laughs> he should have just said, Lord, you're right. Will you help me? Would Jesus have helped him? Yes. Number 10. Why is this state of being brought about? Or excuse me, how is this state of being brought about? Romans 12, uh, 12 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That means, that's the where we get the word metamorphosis uh, in, in, uh, in the Greek. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I need to study God's will on every area of my life, whatever decision I'm going to make. If I'm going to look at, at a relationship, I need to know the counsel that God has for me on that or whatever the issue may be. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am weak and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest where? In your souls by studying his life. You know, when I was young, I, uh, I'm, I'm Cuban, background, I'm a tofu Cuban, I was born in Manhattan, but my parents are Cuban, and uh, I love the ocean, and I love getting a tan, and I used to come together with these crazy concoctions, which I will tell you what they were, because you'd probably run out and try it, and to get a tan, and uh, I learned something about getting a tan, are you ready for this? The more time I spend in the sunlight, the faster and the deeper the change that takes place. Are we listening? The more time we spend in the present. If I want to be like Jesus, it's proportionate to the time I spend with him. The change is always proportionate to the time that I spend with him. Number 11. In all things, what should be our mindset? Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also what? In Christ Jesus. And this book reveals the mind of God. When we read it, we come into contact with his mind, his thoughts, his opinions. Number 12. <clears throat> to what extent uh, must our words be done with reference to God's glory? 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether, uh, whether therefore you eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of who? Of God, so whatever I do, in the way I, I, in the things I eat, the way I, the things I drink, the way I dress, in 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 my relationships, in music, in worship, I'm to seek God's mind and approval. Does that make sense? Not mine. Number thirteen. How much must we give up to become true disciples? Luke thirteen thirty three. So likewise, whatsoever. He be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. He cannot be my disciple. You know, <clears throat> do you realize the only thing that Jesus will ever ask us to give up is the thing that will destroy me? Isn't that amazing? I mean, does that even sound unreasonable? He only asks us to give up that which will destroy me if I don't give it up. By the way, what did Jesus give up to save you and me? He, just, he, he gave up his, his divine rights. Isn't that right? He gave up good things to save you and me. He doesn't ask us to give up good things. He doesn't do that. Amazing. Number 14. If ye thus follow Jesus, how will Satan respond? John 15, 20 says, Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Yeah, there will be persecution. And persecution hurts the most when it's the people closest to us, family and church members. But be faithful unto death. Be faithful. There is a beautiful payoff 
for the faithful. 15. Will the devil allow God to do this wonderful work in our lives? Unopposed, Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme against God, to blaspheme his name, his what? His tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. The devil doesn't want you to know about the sanctuary message. He doesn't want you to know about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, the power that we find revealed through that service. He actually created a false system, the Catholic system, to obliterate from the minds of the people. And then he raised up, God did, in Revelation 10, a movement to put the sanctuary back before the people. And you're hearing it here tonight. And number 16, when Christians allow Jesus to finish this work in them, what will be the result? Matthew 24, 14, and the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a what? A witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. You see, it's more than just information. It's, it's a demonstration of the power of God in your life. When you talk it, they will look at your life to see if you're living it. And that's what's going to convince them of the validity of the power of God. <clears throat> Number eight, uh, uh, 17. In this struggle, who is more powerful, the devil or Jesus? John 16, 33. And these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that. 1 John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Can you say amen to that? So thankful. We don't, we, we don't need to fear the devil, friends. We have Jesus on our side. Number 18, therefore, how confident can I be that Jesus will be successful in my life? And I love uh, the, the Wymouth's New Testament's rendition of these verses. Follow carefully. For of this I am confident that, I, that he who has begun a good work within you will go on to perfect it in preparation for the day of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen to that? Amen. My friends, here's my appeal to you. Are you willing to meet with Jesus daily and to work to maintain your, your abiding relationship with him? Even if that means just five minutes, are you willing to give that to him? If you are, raise your hand. Amen and amen. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Father, we have scattered a lot of seed tonight. You are the sower. It is you that brings the sunshine and the rain. And I pray that the truths that have been revealed here, introduced here, that, Lord, you will cause to produce a bountiful harvest not only to the salvation of the dear people here, but that they too will go out and share the beautiful message that you do have an answer to the sin problem, that you are more powerful than anything we can ever face. And no matter how far we may have fallen, you can reach down deeper still. And when we blow it, you don't get angry with us. You take pity. Thank you for your great love and tender mercies. Bless all that all will get rest tonight. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.